Okay, guys, say it with me. Convenience. We're busy. You don't want to lug around your big blender, and you sure as heck don't want to stand in line or pay the prices at a smoothie bar. You want quick, nutritious, and you want it on the go. I have to tell you about my hands-down favorite new kitchen gadget, the Blendjet 2. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. I'm already counting down to warm weather so I can blend up a cocktail from the boat or the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. It lasts 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. Because remember, we love convenience. There are 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. I am obsessed. Meg is obsessed. We've been texting about this nonstop. My husband already picked out one that matches his style because we both have to be able to make margaritas. I mean, nutritious smoothies. What are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to Blendjet.com and use the code GRUESOME12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome to Gruesome, your horrific true crime podcast. I am Meg, and our resident birthday girl, Connie, is going to tell us about Jason Hendricks. Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I started celebrating on February 1st, as a true Aquarius does. It's our birthday month, and it just, everything I've done this month, I'm like, oh, we could do this for my birthday. We could do this for my <laughs> birthday. And finally, my husband was like, Okay. <laughs> You've We're reached done. your birthday limit. We are done. Your birthday is the ninth. <laughs> well, what, about we went... the, what about the month after? Like, do you continue it after the ninth? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I have stuff. So we went to Indianapolis, and I was like, oh, this is for my birthday. And then we're going to Gatlinburg next weekend. And I was like, it's for my birthday. Pretty much everything is like, oh, it's for my birthday. But then, like, his birthday's next month, and I'm like, but we're going to Gallenberg for your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as special as mine. His birthday is on March 14th. And apparently that is National Steak and BJ Day. So it's the f- it's like a that's, real thing. That's pretty much St. Patrick's Day. So he does get a birthday celebration. Yeah. It's like, look at all these people drinking green beer for toasty. your red hair. We're, yeah, like, you're it's a Brady. Right like, you're Brady. <laughs> this is for you. This whole, look what we did for you. We turned the canal green for you. <laughs> it just reminds um, me of that Bright Eye song. Happy birthday. We love you very, Three. very, very, very much. I know that we have exactly one listener that is going to love that reference. Mm-hmm. And she will text me after she hears this episode. So I'm looking forward to that. 
I listen to that song on my birthday every year. I know it's like not like a cheerful song, but I still do. No, no, no. Uh, Bright House on your birthday is mandatory. I think that's, I think that's a perfectly cheerful moment. Well, this yeah, is not I was like, cheerful. This is not a cheerful case. <laughs> we are going to talk tonight about Jason Hendricks. Um, so let's get to it. Corbin, Kentucky, a small town with less than ten thousand people. Most notably, the birthplace of Colonel Harlan Sanders and the entire Kentucky Fried Chicken franchise. They actually have like a museum there. Oh, we should go. You had me at fried chicken. (laughs) A type of town where residents say they hardly lock their doors. They feel safe all the time. They walk around. I looked up pictures of it and it does look, it's pretty picky. Well, who can blame them? There's a colonel protecting them at all times. The high school. They're called the Colonels, and I was like, I love this. I love it. Chicken-themed town. I just hope it smells like fried chicken. Like You just <laughs> go, and you're like, I'm here. You just got fried chicken scented candles that they're wafting. Oh, I would love that. I want a fried chicken candle. <laughs> this small, picturesque town in southern Kentucky was rocked by the brutal murder of Kevin, Sarah, and Grace Corbin. And the main suspect was the couple's 16-year-old son, Jason. Dr. Sarah Hendricks was a prominent social worker and a professor at Union College. Kevin Hendricks worked for the Whitley County Circuit Court clerk as a domestic violence and disability intake clerk. Together, the couple had a passion for bees. The beekeepers would sell their honey at a local farmer's market in their small town. And they were super excited about this. Like when Kevin, one time he ordered a queen bee that got delivered and he took it to his office and he was like, show it off. I love that. I want bees so bad. Bees are so cute. I know. Every time I hear about bees, I think about you. Sarah Hendricks was a de- was dedicated to mending Kentucky's broken families. Her friend and coworker, Dr. Peggy Monk, said that she thought the couple hung the moon. She described the family as being close with Sarah often talking about how her children about her children and how proud she was of the people they were becoming. She said, quote, she was the kind of person who embodied what we hope a good social worker would be. She loved life, loved living, and saw the funny in the world. Together, the couple had four children. Fred, Sarah's oldest son from a previous marriage, at the time was a student at the University of Kentucky. Lizzie, who at the time was a student at Berry College, a private college in Georgia. Jason, their 16-year-old son. And Gracie, a 12-year-old bubbly middle school, middle school cheerleader. Gracie and Jason were both adopted through the foster care system, with Jason being adopted when he was one year old. The family was very active in their church and well-loved by all within their church community. The family would arrive at 7 a.m. on Sundays, Way before the services began, Jason would hang lights and sweep the parking lot. Kevin took out the trash. Gracie would pitch in and help set up the chairs. Jason was described as being everyone's friend. The younger kids in the church that had that the family attended were enamored with him. He was an influence on the students at the church. And the pastor of the Forward Community Church, Drew Mahan, said that he was even an influence on his own children. Drew's children. Jason didn't have any children. I know that sounds a little weird when you say it out loud. In December of 2014, he was baptized. He was active in the ROTC program at school. 
Neighbors said that the family were, quote, your classic small town family who they would regularly see walking the neighborhood with their dog. And this is going to be another one of those scenarios where the theme is we had no idea what was going on and we have no idea why this was done. And we have no idea who this kid is that committed these crimes because the Jason that everyone knew would never and could never. In the months leading up to February 11th, 2015, Jason and his dad had some issues that were described by his pastor as your typical father-son spats, but nothing major. The two had sought counseling through their church to work out their differences, and their pastor said that they had both been eager to get through the rough patch. Mayhem then reiterated that what they were dealing with was 100% normal teenage stuff and nothing that alluded that he could be capable of such a massacre. And, I mean, we all fight with our parents when we're in teen, like, we're teenagers. That's that's normal. When you're 16, you're not really supposed to get along with your parents, I don't think. I think you're supposed to just kind of be feral and, Well, you you're know. finding your independence, you know? The, yeah. Then I think a lot of parents, not all of them, but a lot of parents are, that's hard for them to accept that their teenager is going to make choices that they don't necessarily agree with or that they don't think that they should be doing. It's, I'm sure it is very, I don't have a teenager, but I'm sure it's difficult. My son's only 12 and I still find myself like getting mad about things. And then I'm like, wait a second, he's, he's finding himself. Like he's a good kid. He may not do things like how I would do them, but as we always say, like you're not raising kids, you're raising adults. So that's right. And like you are, like we are adults, like we most of the time have learned to regulate our emotions and how we react to things. And they have not. No, don't teenagers don't, especially teenage boys, like specifically teenage boys. That's a whole different breed. Sarah Hendricks had confided in one of her coworkers a few days before the murders that she and her husband had taken away Jason's computer and phone privileges because he had found a way to circumvent the parental controls that they had placed on the computer so that he could play video games online. She told her coworker that he was extremely upset by them taking away the computer and phone. But again, no one kills their family because they lose computer privileges, right? I mean, I had my stuff taken away literally my entire high school career. I think I, I think I was grounded from my things more than I had my things. <laughs> I mean, how often were we driving around and I didn't have a car? <laughs> I took my car like all the time. I used to think that my parents gave me things And like they would buy me more things just so they had things to take from me. (laughs) But we didn't have like internet on our phones back then. It was just like, you're going to keep your phone because that's your way of talking to people. Like we got to be able to get a hold of you. On February 11th, 2015, late in the afternoon, Kevin Hendricks walked into his home after a long day at work. He still had his sport jacket on and tie when he was ambushed walking in the front door. Literally the moment that he walked in the door, he was shot twice in the head through a pillow. Shortly after, Sarah Hendricks parked her car in the garage and walked into the kitchen, and she was also immediately ambushed. Sarah was shot twice in the face through a pillow. Oh my god. What Sarah and Kevin didn't realize or have any clue is that the 12-year-old Gracie had also, like, she was also shot after being ambushed. She was shot twice in the head through a pillow and also once in the arm. All of the shots. Before they got home or they Yeah, so she was shot. She was shot before they even got home. She was shot as soon as she got home from school. 
All of the shots were fired at close range, which I mean, I guess to shoot through pillows, like they would have to be. They think that um, they were shot through pillows to muffle like any blood spatter and Mm -hmm. the noise that the gun made. Later that evening, a text message was sent from Kevin's phone to his boss stating that he, Kevin, had come down with something and was suffering from a sore throat and vomiting and that he wouldn't be at work the next day. His boss, Donna Broughton, has no idea if the text was actually sent from Kevin, but with the timing of the murders, it seems unlikely. The time of death is estimated between 4 and 6 p.m. And they know it was a hard 6 p.m. because what followed after the murders is even more bizarre. Jason went to church that Wednesday evening. He got there around 6.30. He seemed perfectly normal. Pastor Mahan said that he was totally normal, the same Jason we'd always known and loved. He gave kids piggyback rides, and I guess he had recently bought a guitar, so he was up there trying to learn worship songs. He gave the group no reason to worry and no indication that he had just massacred his entire family. Did they normally go to church on Wednesday nights too? It was like a youth group. Oh, okay. I did read in some newspapers that while he was at church that night, he had confided in one of his friends that he had found his parents' guns, but that was the end of the conversation. It was just like a, hey, I found my parents' guns. What happened in the next few days is still a mystery. Jason and his family were all unaccounted for until Saturday, February 15th. On that day, Jason sat out in the family's green Honda Pilot and 500 miles from Corbin in Baltimore County, Maryland, Maryland State Police attempted to pull over the green Honda Pilot for speeding just before 10 a.m. Police had no knowledge of the scene that was left behind in Corbin. They just, he was speeding, so they're just doing, it was supposed to be a routine traffic stop. But he didn't stop. Police deployed stop sticks, but Hendricks was able to avoid them. During the high-speed chase, Hendricks tried to ram the the state police cars that were in pursuit. The chase continued through the four McHenry Tunnel. So if you are a Baltimore area listener, you may know where all this stuff happened. Jason approached mile marker 49 at I-695 and crossed over into oncoming traffic. He proceeded driving down the wrong way on the shoulder of the road before taking an exit, again going the wrong way, but he managed to escape the sight of straight troopers. By 1017, the chase had ended and a bolo was issued for the Green Honda pilot to local law enforcement. Not long after, a Baltimore police officer spotted Hendricks and started to pursue the car. But Hendricks once again failed to stop and a police chase ensued. The high-speed chase ended when Hendricks crashed into a Honda Accord and the vehicle came to a stop. What police didn't know is that before Hendricks left his home, he loaded his backpack with four 38 caliber revolvers, a 9mm pistol, and a double-barreled shotgun with plenty of ammunition. The 9mm gun and one of the 38 caliber pistols were loaded when Hendricks began a shootout with the police. The adult male and two 11-year-old girls who were in the Honda Accord were taken to the hospital to be checked out later. And thankfully, they were able to avoid the The hail of gunfire that was happening right beside them. Hendricks exchanged gunfire with at least six Baltimore police officers, and he was ultimately gunned down where he succumbed to his injuries. One Baltimore police officer was injured during the exchange. At this point, police still had no idea, one, that they just exchanged gunfire with a 16-year-old kid, and two, he had murdered his entire family back in Kentucky. The wounded officer received treatment at the University of Maryland Shock Trauma Center and was discharged the next morning. 
So that Saturday, a Baltimore County detective called the authorities in Corbin, Kentucky, and requested a check of the address to where like the car was registered to. In his mind, if the occupants of the house were related to the kid, they needed to be informed that he had, you know, been murdered mm-hmm. or yeah. killed in the shootout. At five o'clock that afternoon, officers with the Corbin Police Department entered the home of the Hendricks family where they found the bodies of Kevin, Sarah, and Gracie. They had been dead for three days. Police concluded that he most likely killed his family before going on the run. Why did he, was he just going like east or like, you know, like northeast? Why Bolt? Why was he in Baltimore? There's still, we have no idea. And I'm going to talk about something like here in a little bit. Cause I kind of went down this rabbit hole with this case. Um, but there's still, they still have no idea why he took the direction that he went. Um, there's no indication what he was doing from Wednesday through Saturday. Police found, um, a gas receipt. So he had went all the way up. Police found a gas receipt in the car from New Jersey for Thursday. So he had like went up to Jersey and I'm just went blank on how the United States map is. So do you have to go? Do you go through Maryland to get to Jersey or is it vice versa? Let me look real quick because now I sound like a dumbass. <laughs> map. Okay. I don't know either. I will also look it up. I just can't think of. There's a lot of states. Um, oh, Jersey is like all the way up there. So he would have had to go up to Jersey and then back down to Baltimore. And they still have no idea why. Like, what the hell was he doing from Thursday through Saturday? No one knows. Yeah. There was an internal an internal investigation done with the six officers, and prosecutors ruled that the shooting on the part of the Baltimore Police Department was legally justified. Uh, Jason did start shooting first. And also, he was packing, like, how many guns? Like, five? Six. Six guns. It just escalated so quickly, you know? Like, even take the murders out of it. Like, you could have... Police had no idea who you were. You could just got pulled over and been like, oh, shit, my bad. No, like, I think he probably wanted to go out like That's that. what I was thinking. That's what I think. So, like I said, I went into a little bit of a rabbit hole about this case. Um, and it does get a little wild. Like, some of these, I always Jeez. say, you treat Reddit and these subreddits, like, you treat them with a grain of salt. But every once in a while, there's shit on there. You're like, okay, this kind of makes sense. So, there are claims that, and... I should preface this with, I am not trying to victim shame. This is literally just talking about theories about the case. Um, So before anyone comes at me with that, there are claims that the dispute actually started from him trying to reach out to talk to his like biological family and he got in trouble for it. I had mixed feelings at first because with his mom being in social work and working for CPS, I feel an My experience with social workers and CPS is St. Karen. So I know that she definitely has a different way of handling things than most like she her main like goal with when she worked for cps was reunification like always Mm -hmm. that's the first goal so like in my head i would think like i think like what would saint karen do and like she wouldn't close that door but i also don't know the history i don't know why he was removed from his parents home Mm -hmm. like you don't know there are some people in these reddit claims who say that they knew jason and that that they stand by this is something he would never do. So there are claims that like he went after the people who actually murdered his family and that's why he had all of the guns. But honestly, that idea seems very unlikely to me. All of the evidence pointed to Jason doing it. 
And I know it's really hard to wrap your things, like wrap your head around things like that because of the person you thought that Jason was. And especially it's like Killa's little sister, who every newspaper article I read and every interview about this case said that she loved her brother. She looked up to her brother. So like a lot of people did. Yeah. And there are reports that there was some jealousy towards Gracie on Jason's part. But again, it's all speculation. And unfortunately, in a case like this, there really is no way to tell because there is no one alive who was at the house the day that Kevin, Sarah, and Gracie were murdered. And like nothing came out of or nothing was ever released out of, you know, like, well, what they were doing on the computer. What was that? Like, who was he talking to? And well, so, okay, that's where I started spiraling. Because I don't know if, I just don't know if, like, what was meant by he was going on the, you know, like, it just seems odd that all of this stemmed from pl- trying to play computer games. It feels like a very small, that would have small straw to break the camel's back, you know? It's, yeah. It just doesn't seem, it's, I don't know, I just don't, something with that's not sitting right with me. Like, you feel like maybe the the counseling that he and his dad were receiving was something maybe not more abnormal than just normal teenage things but and like we've heard in so many of these cases we don't know what is going on behind closed doors we don't know if jason was struggling with any mental health issues that would have you know incapacitated his decision making well, he also has a different biological family, and so he could have genetic mental health issues that are, you mm-hmm. know, causing like a chemical imbalance or various other things. I read in one newspaper article that the pastor had slipped and said that he had gotten in trouble for texting someone that he wasn't supposed to. So maybe there is more to him seeking, you know, his bio family, like seeking out his bio family that the parents weren't happy with. They didn't live in Maryland. They lived in the Northeast. So, but it's still unknown, like why he would go to Jersey to Maryland, you know, like that part's unknown. And like, why would he feel the need to have an entire bag of weapons unless he was planning on going out in a blaze of gunfire. Mm -hmm. And it really was just too much for a small community that has, you know, a really low crime rate to like have to deal with. And then you have the other siblings that are left without their family. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I had forgotten. But I know sometimes, especially if you, I don't know if he was told that he was adopted. You know, you start reading articles and there's some articles that say he always knew he was adopted. Like the her, uh, Sarah's friends all knew that Jason was adopted. And then there are some that said he was just told he was adopted the year before. There like, is... adoption comes with its own trauma, whether or whether, like, exactly. whether or not you are told. Exactly. And you do have this, you know, if you were removed from a home before you were one years old, because to be adopted at one, he had to have been removed from the home, like, way before that. You don't before. just yeah. get removed and get adopted that same day. So maybe the parents knew more about his bio family than like what they had told Jason. And then you have this like, you know, hero complex where it's, well, I want to, you, you naturally are drawn to want to know who you came from. Like that is a normal, like human response, but maybe they parents knew more about the bio family than Jason did. And that's why they had such a stern, like, no, I don't know. It just seems, it seems so strange that, Like, what else was going on to, like, say it was, like, oh, you took my computer from, like, I couldn't play video games, so I'm going to kill my entire family, including my little sister. It just, 
It does seem far-fetched, but stranger things have happened. Way stranger things have happened. <laughs> stranger things have happened. We've talked about them. Um, I do think that that theory is plausible, that maybe there was some, you know, anger and rage there from him maybe being kept from his bio family, but I don't, it just seems like I grew up in like a religious household and I like the people who sought counseling through the church, it typically wasn't like I'm pissed off at my dad. You know, I'm texting someone I'm not supposed to. I kind of thought that when you said that, that it seemed a little strange, but I also don't know that church. I don't know, but I, you know, if you are in a religious household that shows up early to church every Sunday mm-hmm. and goes every Wednesday, those I feel like can be very um, restrictive spaces that you're into. Yeah. Like- and then you have that. I mean, I remember growing up and like I said, like my like my family was religious and there is that extra. If you disappoint them, it feels heavier. Like if you're doing something to disappoint your parents or you feel like you're doing something that could disappoint God or, you know, it just it feels heavier. So maybe it was you never know. Like it's so hard because Jason's not here to like there was no notes written. There was no. And then when you have like a childhood like he did where you there was no indicator, like no one at school was like, yeah, I was a little weird. Like he was obsessed with guns. He was talking about killing people all the time. It wasn't one of those situations. That's a lot of guns for them to just have, too. That's what I thought, too. Like, like uh, that's that's a lot. And I mean, we are very pro-gun. It's Kentucky, so maybe it's yeah, not like a it's lot very, of guns. I think it's a lot of guns for your 16-year-old to have access to. Yeah, when maybe a safe. I don't know. Maybe he could get into it. I'm not sure. I... Typically, people who have that many guns and know, like, what they're doing with them have them in safes or have them locked away into spaces where, like, they can't be, like, touched or reached or, Mm -hmm. um, and again, through no fault of their own, just an interesting thought. Again, Uh, I see why you rabbit hold on this one for sure. I I rabbit hold. You want to know. You want to know what happened. It's the classic true crime pull in. Like, I want to know what happened. Tell me everything. I want every single detail and you don't have them. And that just and I you. I hate that the internet is what it is where it's such like an open forum because I read one article where it was like a blog post almost about this case and someone commented on it and was like, I am his bio mom. And I was like, whoa. And then I was like, how do I know? <laughs> how do I know this is true? I think it's unfortunate. I think whenever you have a case like this where the perpetrator is a teenager or a child, especially because we're parents, it hits different. It does hit different. And it there is a level of like you want to save them and you, you want to be able to you can go back and see, man, like I see like why or how this could have happened. And he It's unfortunate that they made those decisions when they were so young. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. you think about the decisions you made when you were young and you're like, yeah, I regret a lot of the stuff that I did. But, you know, a lot of it still wasn't murdering your entire family. So, yeah, that's I think I I had literally gotten on to my 12 year old this weekend and I was like fussed at him about it. And then I was thinking this could be worse, could be worse, could be worse. Um, A while like. 
when we did when you did the James Bolger case, it's similar feelings, you know. It's like kids in just rotten places, like mentally doing stuff that they're way too young to even think about doing. Mm-hmm. It just makes you feel blah. And I think when there is no answers like this one, like how there's mm-hmm. no answers about it, and you're like, it's open ended. Uh huh. And it really is. I mean, a lot of times when we cover cases that involve like children or teenagers or even young adults, there's always like one or two people where they're like, you know what? They were kind of weird. Or there's a note or a journal or a history. Mm-hmm. Or like uh, the parents are like, I'm really struggling with this kid, you know, something like that. But like this one, I could not find any negative thing about Jason at all, other than the fact that he killed his parents, which I think like, broke me even more because I was like what happened mm-hmm. like what did you what feel in him was so horrific in your life that you felt like you had to not only kill your parents but your 12 year old sister like yeah. well I that's think that the very extreme I think that the um the reaching out to biological family tracks it makes mm-hmm. sense like that that could put some big heavy rage in a kid but I guess uh, Sarah's work family, um, like, this crushed them. Like, it crushed social workers and, like, the college. They said that this is the type of thing that social workers try to prevent. And then to have someone within their own circle, like, this happened to, it's, like, unfathomable. As you probably know, Gruesome uses Zencaster to record, produce, and analyze all on one podcast platform. If investing is something that you're interested in, you'll be excited to learn that Zencaster has recently opened a funding round, allowing listeners like you to own a stake in the company. More than 30,000 passionate creators actively use Zencaster, and it has become the preferred platform for creators to create, grow, and monetize their podcast. Podcasting advertising was the fastest growing marketing channel in 2021. If you're interested in investing in Zencaster, go to wefunder.com slash Zencaster or click the link in our episode description below to claim your slice of the future of podcasting. A little tidbit about this, but one of the Baltimore County officers who was involved in the shooting of Jason was involved in another officer-involved shooting a couple of years later for literally like the same type of scenario. A carjacker stole a car and was ramming it into other cars with like three other passengers in the car. And the officer, Brian Trussell, shot into the car because it was like he was standing outside of his car trying to get him to stop. And they were like running right at him. Mm-hmm. And he shot one of the passengers that were in the car. Which is. And they were a teenager or. No, just, it was like just just a person. Just another shootout. Yeah, they, they didn't die, but like, it, like reckless they were a driver. Also, when I was searching for newspaper articles, I came across an article written in the Star Press. Which, if you're not local to where we're from, like, it's Muncie, so it's, like, a whole state away. And the Monday that this story was released was the same day that the trial for the Slenderman murder started, which is not related at all. But it's wild to see, like, the two headlines on the same, like, newspaper page because the Slenderman trial was, like, such a big thing when it was occurring. Yeah. It's It's still, like, big news. It's still a big thing, yeah. So that was... Like you said, 2014, right? 2015. 2015. And then, yeah. 
And also they're teenagers, both teenagers. Now they're teenagers. I was like, what the fuck was happening in America in 2015, 2014, 2013? Jesus. The internet. <laughs> the internet was happening. I do think, like, I was never one of those people to, like, I think it does. I didn't realize it, and this sounds crazy, until we started doing the podcast, how, like, repetitive exposure to these traumatic events does kind of numb you to it. Mm-hmm. Because I remember I used to have, I mean, I still do. There are still cases that shake me to where I can't research it for a while. I got to put it down and come back to it. But it's not to the extent as it was when we first started the podcast. When we first started the podcast or just like if you look back to when crazy things used to happen, you know, like you think Mm -hmm. about like when Columbine happened. Yeah. And the fact that everyone was like, what? And now it feels like it happens every day. once a month, you know, and that's yeah. horrific in and of its own. It's just, it's hard to be outraged by things when they're constantly like pushed at us. And mm-hmm. as we have the internet, we have no filter between that. You know, it used to be like you only saw it on the news. Yeah. It was just the news and it was bad news. And you watched it and you were like, oh my God, that's awful. But now, You pop it up and, you know, 14 of your friends have shared a different horrific, equally horrific thing that happened on every day of the week last week or, you know, or someone's. Well, think about when Grand Theft Auto first came out and I was, we were young, so I couldn't understand parents being so pissed off about it. You know, I was like, it's just a video game. And then I have a 12 year old now. And my husband, because like he wanted Grand Theft Auto, and I was like, oh, no, that's a hard limit for me. Like, there's a lot of games you can play, but this isn't one of them that you can play. And when my husband had my back, he was like, oh, yeah, because you can kill sex workers on that. Like, it's like it's not even a thing. Like, no one, you know, it's you just shoot people. And I was like, you know, as a parent, I can see where if you just kill like these are like it's not like a call of duty or whatever but these are like they look like normal human beings just walking down the street and you just shoot at them from your car like yeah yeah maybe no grand theft auto for you sorry and also you're 12 and there are sex workers and now in there. we're the fun police we're the fun, <laughs> we're the fun police somebody get the cane get him off the stage i take a ton of notes I am a writer, a student, a habitual list maker, and even though I love paper, I do feel bad about the number of notebooks that I buy and then don't fill up before I buy another one. I made a mini goal this year to waste less paper, and Paperlike has really made that easier for me. Paperlike is perfect for anyone who writes or draws with an iPad and an Apple Pencil, the surface of the paper-like is coated using nanodots, which are tiny microbeads that are designed to add superior stroke precision when you drag the Apple Pencil across the screen. Every paper-like comes in a set of two, so you'll always have a spare, just in case. I love that I'm wasting less paper, but I still get to feel like I'm writing on paper. To pick up your paper-like, head over to paperlike.com gruesome, click buy paper-like, and then select your iPad size. Ready to do more with your iPad? Head over to paperlike.com slash gruesome to get started. I had to, I had the like 
outrage that I never thought I would have as a parent. This is actually when I was, I said earlier, like I had gotten onto my son. He picked up, he was helping pick up our living room. And my daughter had like a, you know, like when they're little girls, they have naked Barbies everywhere. It's like the Barbies are always naked. Clothes immediately come off every time. He held up this Barbie and looked at my nine-year-old son and said, oh, look, he look, she looks like a stripper. And I lit his ass up. <laughs> My husband came out from the office because he said he had never heard me. Like I had this, I was spitting when I was talking. I was like, you do not talk down about anyone's job. Like who cares if she wants to take her clothes off for money? Like that's none of your goddamn business. And he's just like looking at me. I was like, it's a Barbie mom. I was like, why are you using it like a dick? Like strippers are people like people who work like, you know, dancers are people like they're it doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter what she does. Like it's not you can't use that as a dig at somebody. And he's just like looking at me. I'm like, you never put down someone for the job that they do. And you're definitely not going to degrade women like that in this house. And my husband was just like, my hands are tied, boys. My hands are tied. Just my slowly walk out of the room. Like, what's a stripper? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Uh, good for you. I'm glad that no. you yelled at him. No, we're not going to do I'm... that. We're not going to. Nope. And then I looked at him and I said, some dancers make more money than all of us put together. <laughs> than anyone in this house. Definitely, probably, probably everyone in this house. 100% more than everyone <laughs> in this house. I did. I watched a video about strippers and how much, I'm sorry, dancers and how much they made. I don't know if they like to be called strippers or not. I think some of them are okay with it. I think some of them are not okay with it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, you guys wanna, give the consensus on that. I'm I don't want to sure. be offensive. Like, I'm not trying to be offensive about it. But they like talked about, the the range of money and that they made and where they worked and how much and things that they had been gifted and one of the girls was like oh yeah they get paid I was gifted my entire college tuition by a client or like by someone who I'm very pro doing anything with your body male or female that you want to do it's your body you're in charge of it I am anti people being forced into it. Yeah, that seems like a logical. Yeah, thing like to be for and against. I think that's fine. Like, if you want to be a dancer, if you want to be a sex worker, if you want to have an OnlyFans, claps and snaps over here, baby, get that bag because I will cheer you on. Make some TikToks because I'm gonna scroll and watch them. Like, damn, girl. I'm gonna watch every single one, and I'm gonna I... be jealous that you can do all these things and you have all this money. <laughs> I am anti, like, I don't like it It when people feel like that is their only choice. Like, they're, you know, it's like, I am not capable of doing anything else. I feel like I have to, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. I'm sad for that type of situation. And I'm definitely sad for people, like, being forced into sex work. But that's an episode for a different day. <laughs> sex work by choice. Mm-hmm. And we decriminalize it, then people can make that choice. And we can just let them do that, do their jobs. And some of us can, you know, benefit from those jobs as well. <laughs> yeah. We, we can just wash our hands of that. Man, dancers make bank, though. So Sometimes I believe they do. You know, I have gone to one strip club in my life, just one. 
And I walked up to the side of the stage with my $2 bill. And now I realize like what an insult that was. Cause I was just like waiting with my, I like, I should have at least, you know, an hour's worth of work, at least seven twenty-five in my hand. Come on, two bucks. And, but she was really nice. And I was like, hi, I don't know what I'm doing, but she was really nice. And she did I just picture you being like Mary dance. Poppins. I felt very much like Mary Poppins when I was there, um, it, but it was dark and seedy and maybe not seedy, just like, I don't think it was the cleanest one I've, that there is. I'm sure I there. love going to clubs like that. I love it. One, it's really easy to get free drinks. Like it's, <laughs> and it's just your true motives come out. <laughs> it's easy to get free drinks. And I love going in there and making it rain. Just let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I wasn't in a point in my life where I could make it rain, but I was interested in just seeing what happened up in there. And uh, it was it was cool. It was good I like them. how they can make sexy dances out of songs that like, I wouldn't associate with being a sexy song. You know what? I did do that because one of the girls danced to Motley Crue, and I was like, oh, I, like, I love this song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the hottest dance I've ever seen, the girl did it to dog days the dog days are over i don't know like the full oh by florence and the machine yeah uh it's one of my favorite bands oh my god it was like i still this was you still think about it you're still like whoo this was like 12 years ago and i still think about that dance that is a weird song i wouldn't be able to picture it either it was the coolest slash hottest thing i've ever seen and i instantly was like this is it i've peaked (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I gave her like a hundred dollars i was like she earned it obviously you, yeah you earned it like if by some chance you're that girl and you're listening i don't know why you would be but like if you are snaps what what city did this happen in jacksonville north carolina in jacksonville north carolina uh-huh. in 2010 in a place called diamonds that was the one really? I went to. Not in North Carolina. It's probably a chain, but I went to one in Ohio, I think. It was the Diamonds in Ohio. We're about to have a full circle moment because this is one of those things that people who are listening are probably like, okay, like we're done talking about the case. This is like, <laughs> sorry, just a, sorry, we're on strip clubs now. <laughs> there, the Diamonds that you went to, was it in Dayton? I think so. Okay. Think it was. So listen to this. Uh, when my husband and I were just dating, he was in the air force. We were just dating. We didn't even live in the same state. I had this, I was trying to be the cool girlfriend, you know, like, Oh yeah. We all have that moment. Just do what you want. Just let me know. Like, I don't care what you do. Just tell me it's fine. And he called me at 4am and I had the boys. So like, I was not in a position to even be like up at (laughs) 4am telling me that he just paid half of his paycheck with his friends. To watch dancers shower. Oh my god! At <laughs> Diamonds in Dayton, Ohio. <laughs> Honestly, that you still like went for that is because that like now thirty four year old Connie. I feel like that's a red flag. That's a red flag. Half <laughs> <laughs> of your paycheck. Half of your paycheck. Look, when when women say like we started from the bottom and now we're here, I used to come visit my current husband. And I would have to pay for my own things because he was a broke senior airman in the Air Force, had no money. Like, half the time I bought his shit, too. Like, 
Mm. It was just he's lucky he met you. He he's in lucky. Your, in yeah, my youth. Because <laughs> now I'd have been like, you want me to do what? Uh uh-uh. uh. No, but he sir. was. I I you know I loved how like honest he was like about all aspects of his life. He's still like that. Like he still just like just says it. And he was so good to me, like so nice and kind. And we just had a lot in common and we had been friends for a really long time. But now I look back, if my daughter called me and was like, he's going to have his paycheck watching dancer shower. I'd be like, what? <laughs> no, that's not. And then you still have to pay for your things when you go visit. Like he had the money, but he spent it. <laughs> when he spent it watching dancer shower. And then I had follow up questions. What happened? Like, what are they doing? Like, is it like a full shower? How big is the shower? Yeah. Because like my showers are not glamorous. Is it like a gym? Like where you like, go in and there's like shower I stuff? That scene from Porky's, like with the, the <laughs> hole in the wall and they're just like looking. But I just think about like when I'm doing a good shower, it's not a hot thing to watch. You know, you got to no. like rub it down. Like, it's Yeah, it's work. That's work if you're showering. You're like, I'm exfoliating in here. Get out. Was it a hair mask day? And then I thought to myself, these girls made bank. Because there was like 10 of these guys who paid just the same all amount throwing of throwing in. Just, and I was like, well, what did you guys do? He said, we just sat there. And I was like, it sounds boring. Sounds like not fun at all. But I'm not going to be the one to tell you how to spend your money. Now I'm the person to tell you how to spend your money. <laughs> Back then I wasn't in that position. Now, now we're like, at this point. Now I'm like, you spent a hundred dollars at Costco. What did you get? I need to. Where's play my, my cool stuff? But yeah, ah, just took me back to like 2014, 15, whatever that was, 2015. Holy shit, that's been a long time ago. Yep. And now I turn 34 tomorrow. Yay! Um, you actually turn 34 in like 45 minutes. It's 11, yeah. 11 though. Make a wish. I wish my husband paid me half his check to watch me shower. <laughs> <laughs> here you go spend it how you want i want to buy skincare products and <laughs> hair masks i went to really quick because it was like a like a disney magic moment for me i went to starbucks and they were out of grande cups so i got all the drinks that i went to pick up all venti's no charge? No charge. Paid for grandes, got ventis. It was a Ayo. magical day. Ooh, I got to go to Starbucks tomorrow because, you know, they fucked up their rewards now. You only can go on your birthday day. Yeah, that is rough. Make the time, though. Treat yourself. I'm going to. I have a training tomorrow that I have to sit through from 10 to 3. But after 3:30. that, 3.30, bitch is going. What's your go-to drink right now? Same thing. It always says, you know, I'm a creature of habit. I do a uh, dirty chai, three shots of espresso, and sweet cream cold foam. I love the brown sugar shake and espressos. I'm obsessed with them right now. I also still, even though I know it's still like a caramel latte, I still get a caramel macchiato upside down. <laughs> okay. You like what you like. And that's There's nothing wrong with that. I used to not be that big of a deal when I could have a straw to like stir it up. Mm-hmm. But now like you just drink and it's like you get to the bottom, it's just milk. Yeah, that's that. rough. Like, nope, that. just make it a latte. Can I have a caramel macchiato, but a latte? <laughs> <laughs> you should order it like that next time. I bet they would laugh. <laughs> I'm going to on Saturday when we are getting our brunch. Brunch. 
All right. Yeah. We'll probably see you guys live on Instagram on Friday night. Yay. Keep an eye out or set your posts to alert you when we go live or something. Yeah, because we're, gonna, we're going now. to a drag show and we're going to be I'm going to be drinking and fun. Connie's going to come out like three drink Connie. So it's wild. It's Anything time. could happen. Anything. Like, Anything. Just talking. <laughs> All right, guys. Bye. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Gruesome Horrific True Crime, a Zencaster powered podcast. Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers, and if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you. It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, Or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye.